All right, for the adults here, if you would now please take out the, the full insert that's in the worship bulletin. God's word is what I just read before in Matthew 8, uh, verses 23 through 27. It was either Monday or Tuesday of this week, and I was I turned on the evening news, and there were two celebrities that suddenly have found themselves in, in a very difficult spot. Some unexpected things have, have happened to them. One of them is Bob Harper. And you probably recognize Bob Harper as he's the, he's the coach, he's the trainer on The Biggest Loser, right? And if you've seen Bob Harper, he's my age, fifth one. This guy is, he is cut and he's ripped and he's, he's strong. He's like the perfect form of being in shape. He was working out in the gym just last week, and guess what happened? Massive heart attack. They had to, you know, get his heart going again. And and this is him just a few days ago in recovery. He doesn't look quite as strong, does he? And and he's uh, questioning, why why me? If there's anyone that should not have a heart attack, it would be me. So he thought. Right? He's in the middle now of a very big life storm that he wasn't expecting. It came out of nowhere. Same newscast. And a different celebrity. This is, this is a guy that I grew up with as a, a boy growing up, the Partridge family. Right? This is David Cassidy. And David Cassidy, he's crying on Dr. Phil this week. Why? Anyone know? He's been diagnosed with dementia. Perhaps it's Alzheimer's, but um, he, 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 he knows it. And, and he's scared to death. Because he knows that there's no cure for that. And unless he dies of something else, he's probably going to face this and eventually die from dementia-related stuff. That's a storm in his life I don't think is going away anytime soon. Well, today, as we continue with our our series, Jesus, Son of God, we, we see Jesus' disciples in a boat, and they face a storm, and literally, it's a storm that blew it out of nowhere, that they thought they were not going to survive. Let's let's begin. Verses 23 and 24. Then he, Jesus, got into a boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, it says that, that Jesus got into the boat, and we know that uh, three of the, at least three of the fishermen, or the disciples were, were fishermen by, by trade. Uh, back in 1986, there, the Sea of Galilee, for whatever reason, um, it dropped in level. I don't know if there was a drought taking place or what, probably. But the Sea of Galilee, it dropped um, several dozen feet, and the, the acres of what used to be underwater were now visible. And, and there, were, there were some locals walking around the mud, and, and, and they noticed uh, a wooden object, and they started digging around. 
And it ended up being this. It's a boat, and archaeologists have, have uh, done tests on it, and it's determined that this boat is 2,000 years old. And, and it's called the Jesus boat, right? We don't know if this was the exact boat that Jesus and his disciples were in, but it is a boat from that era. And I want you to, to understand the dimensions of this boat. Um, the boat is 27 feet long, uh, seven and a half feet wide, and the maximum height is 4.3 feet. Now, just to visualize that, I, I did it this morning. Uh, 27 feet, this is almost exactly 27 feet from this point to this point. Okay, it's not, not a short boat unless you have 12 men in it, right? Seven and a half feet wide. I, I adjusted the chairs this morning. Hope you don't mind. You don't have quite as much room, but this is exactly seven and a half feet wide. And, and again, the, the maximum depth of the boat, which would be in the center of the boat, was about four and a half feet, which really is not very deep for a boat that long. Uh, these boats were engineered, I'm sure there weren't engineers working on them, but, but they, they still were designed for fishing. And, and really fishing along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. That's where most of the fish hang out, and especially at night. And, and these were fishermen, these were fishing boats. They really were not designed to be crossing over the sea constantly. They certainly were not designed to uh, hit big storms. So it says that, again, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. So 13 people in that boat. Now, we also know from there, the three of the four Gospels contain this, this account of, the, uh, of what's going to happen here. And if you stay for the adult Bible study this morning, we're going to look at the other two accounts, and, and there's some interesting things in, in each one. But um, we're also told, I believe it's in Luke's Gospel, it wasn't just that one boat. Jesus told his disciples, we are going over to the other side, get in. And we're told that other boats followed. So there was a flotilla, right? And, and it's, uh, they're, they're, they're crossing uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. Now, we're told in verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Galilee is known for sudden storms. The, the, the lake itself, it, it's called the sea, the Sea of Galilee, but it really is like a, like a lake, and it's not, not a small lake. I believe it's like 13 miles by, by 9 miles. It's shaped like a heart. Uh, but the, the, the landscape around the Sea of Galilee there are high plateaus, and then there are huge canyons coming in from, I think, all four directions. And so any low-pressure system, any wind, these canyons are like wind tunnels. And it just hits the tunnel, and it goes straight over the water, and very, in a very short amount of time, very choppy water. And I'm sure these fishermen, these disciples, were used to squalls on that lake, because even to this day, the Sea of Galilee is known for that. It can be perfectly calm, but then suddenly a storm. This storm, though, was more than a typical squall. It says a furious storm. Literally, in the original language our text was written in, uh, it's, a, it's a mega seismus. You hear the word seismus, we think seismic, we think like earthquake, right? But it's, it's a mega storm. It's a super storm. 
More than likely, this was the, uh, the, the biggest storm they had ever been in. And, and they're right smack, we believe, in the middle of the lake in a boat that is not very deep, not really designed to hit waves like that. Now, something else about this verse. Uh, again, our, our verse says that a, a, suddenly a furious storm came up so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. You don't see it in the NIV translation, but the way it's originally written, it's an imperfect tense. And what that means, imperfect tense, in the Greek language, is the idea of kept on. So the idea of that the waves kept on sweeping over the sides of the boat. Crash after crash, they kept on. Waves just not giving up and kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And what did Jesus do? It's also an imperfect tense. But he kept on sleeping. He kept on sleeping. The waters are crashing over the the side. The boat is filling up with water. He, He continues to sleep. You can imagine the tension in that boat. They're thinking, Jesus, you led us in this boat. You said, come follow me. Picture yourself in one of those other boats, right? Uh, We're going to follow the the boat that Jesus is in. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And this furious storm comes up, and you're being tossed and turned, and and you're, like, wondering, we're following who? Why would he lead us into a storm if he is the Son of God? So, again, uh, the tension uh, that kept on... Waves kept on crashing, and Jesus kept on sleeping. Came across a, a news, another news account on, on sleep, kind of a, a humorous one, but they did a sleep study of young couples with children, and they're trying to figure out how children affect sleep and how much sleep you get. And in this particular study, which just came out, um, the... The mothers involved, it greatly affected their sleep. They were, like, losing two or three hours a night. And for the husbands, zero effect. They lost no sleep. They slept right through the kids waking up. And I'm sure that there are some women saying, why does he keep on sleeping, right? The disciples were thinking in a much greater way, why does he keep on sleeping when the storm is raging all around us? <clears throat> Now, disciples, again, at first, maybe they thought, you know, we can weather the storm, but it kept up. Uh, Verse 25. Disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And you can just hear the desperation. Lord, save us. You know, wake up. We're going to drown. The idea is, you know, they, they thought they weren't going anywhere but down. They probably pictured themselves like that boat one day with, them still in it, right? Bob of that lake. And, and they were terrified. They thought this was it. Now, a, a parallel account is Mark chapter 3, and I have it printed for you, I believe, in your outline. Mark, Mark puts this detail in it. So they wake him up and they say, Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Now, 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 quite often, we talk about storms, right? And the celebrities with storms in their life. 
You have storms in your life. I know you do. I do. And, and sometimes the storms of life can be very furious, and they can happen very suddenly. And it just so happens that quite often when, when it keeps on and keeps on and keeps on, like the disciples, we, we wonder, God, where are you? Or why are you sleeping? Or don't you care? And, and that's the, the fill-in, the first fill-in here. Oh, actually, this is not the first fill-in. This is, um, not only does Jesus allow storms, he leads us into them. Not only does Jesus allow storms, he leads us into them. Again, Jesus knew. He's God. He knows all things. Did he not know that a storm was going to brew? He did. And he allowed it. Not only that, he led them into it. Again, um, that's the, the facts of, 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 of the text. And here's the second point. I'm sorry, I, I, I forgot about that first point. But the second point is this. When storms rage, fears rise, and we think God doesn't care. When storms rage, fears rise, and we think God doesn't care. I am so thankful this is recorded for us in Scripture, because I've been there. I can relate to these disciples. They're with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus, and, and they're studying his life. They're hearing his word. Yet they find themselves suddenly in a situation they weren't expecting. Jesus, don't you care? We're going down. We're going to die. Again, that's what fear does to us when, when the storms rage. Now, this is not going to be on the screen, um, but I have, I have six questions for you. Question one is this. What storms are you facing right now? What storms in life are you facing right now? Maybe it's a financial storm that you weren't expecting. Maybe you find that there isn't as much job security as you thought there was in your current job. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you are soon to be unemployed. Maybe that's the storm you're facing. Maybe the storm involves a loved one in your life. And maybe it's not you directly. Maybe you're on the shoreline, but you know there's a raging storm, and your loved one is in the middle of it. And you're on the shoreline, you can't do anything. And you feel helpless about the, the situation. Maybe it's a health storm. Maybe you're like Bob Harper. And maybe you faced some things out of the blue you weren't expecting, and bam, heart attack. Maybe you're like David Cassidy. And, and maybe that you've been in a storm for quite some time. And it's something you're going to face for the rest of your life. And the problems keep on happening, keep on happening, keep on happening. Again, what are the storms that you're facing right now? Maybe your storm is a relationship storm. A relationship with your spouse. A relationship with somebody, uh, again, that you're very close to. Maybe it's the relationship with your boss. And the problems keep on raging. The storm keeps on coming. Second question is this. How is it, or why is it, that Jesus was able to sleep through the storm? 
Ever wondered that? How could he remain sleeping when the storm was, was raging? You now, we're speculating a little bit, right? Now, that's a question really only Jesus can answer directly. But we have knowledge of God's word. And I think there are two main reasons that Jesus was able to keep sleeping as the storm was raging. First of all, it has to do with his humanity. Jesus fully human. Jesus was exhausted. If you read everything that what Jesus did right before this, his ministry was extremely busy. He had, he's, he's healing people, he's teaching people, he's preaching. And that exhausts anyone. So in his humanity, humbling himself, being fully human, he was really tired. Right? He said, let's get in the boat, we're going to the other side, I'm sleeping. Um, there's another part of Jesus' humanity. We're told that, that Jesus fully submitted to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, even though equal in the Godhead. In his earthly ministry, he humbled himself and, and he fully submitted to them. It means that he trusted them in everything. Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't say anything unless God the Father and God the Holy Spirit wanted him to do it. He was following their lead. He was submitting to them. So here's Jesus and, and, and God the Father and the, and the Spirit saying, you're going over to the other side. You have ministry over there. Jesus submitted, submits to that, and he rests securely because he's fully submitting to his Heavenly Father. It also has to do with his divinity. Um, Jesus knew the one who had power over the storm. Uh, but Jesus is also true God. Right? Jesus is the one who has power over the storm. And you combine all those things, and, and, and there's a reason Jesus could get in that boat and he could sleep securely as the storm raged. Third question is this. Do you sleep well at night? Do you sleep well at night? And if not, why not? There are a variety of reasons, really. And some of you may have been suffering with insomnia for a long time. Sometimes it's chronic pain. I've been there. And if you have chronic pain and you wake up in the middle of the night and pain is keeping you awake, it's horrible, right? There's not much you can do about it. Um, maybe it's because of worry. You're worried sick. And because of worry, your mind is spinning. You can't solve a problem in your life. Maybe you wake up and you're just stressed out. Again, because you, you are worrying and you're thinking and you can't solve the problems. Maybe... You're not sleeping because you have a poor diet. Maybe you should not eat that midnight snack or that burrito. <clears throat> Maybe it is health-related. Maybe it's lack of exercise. Or there could be umpteen other medical reasons you're not sleeping. Maybe it's a guilty conscience. King David, that was his problem when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and covered up murder of Bathsheba's husband, it affected his sleep. He could not sleep at night because he had a guilty conscience. Now, I don't know what it is with you if you have trouble sleeping. I'm not trying to over, oversimplify it. I will say this, that in the case of guilt, 
I recommend my pillow. You've heard the, the, the uh, commercials for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, mypillow.com. But when I say mypillow.com, I'm not talking about the physical pillow you order on that website. I'm talking about a clear conscience. A clear conscience is the best pillow ever. If guilt is keeping you from sleeping, there is a solution to that, and it's called Christ. If we acknowledge our sin, he is faithful and just. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. When we try to cover up our sin, it does not work. Your conscience will continue to gnaw away at you. Confess your sins, first and foremost, directly to God. And God promises that he forgives. Jesus has already died to take away whatever sin it was. He's paid for it in full. He loves you. He doesn't want you to feel guilt all the time. He wants your guilt taken away, and that's what, he, that's what Jesus does. Keep that in mind. Again, a clear conscience is the best pillow. Fourth question is this. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Now, maybe you are afraid of losing your life. There have been a handful of times in my life where I feared for my life. I really thought this could be it, like the disciples. Maybe you're afraid of the future. You thought in your, when you were a younger person, um, okay, I don't have it now, but one day I will. In my future, this will happen. Then you're there now, and you realize things are not fulfilled in your life. So maybe you fear the future now. You're not as optimistic, and that's what you're afraid of. Maybe you're, you're afraid of losing your livelihood. Maybe you're afraid of losing a loved one. Maybe you're afraid to die, or at least the process of dying. Maybe you're afraid of the sickness or disease that you know you have. Uh, there are lots of reasons for us to be afraid. Final question, actually, second final question, question five is, why? Why are you so afraid? That's the question that Jesus asked his disciples in verse 26. Jesus replied, again, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Why are you so afraid? Don't you realize who's in your boat? Now, Jesus uh, performs two miracles here. The first miracle is that he calmed the winds. And the way it's written is he rebuked the winds and the waves. He rebuked the winds and instantly they stopped blowing. But any of you who have any experience on a lake, I grew up all the time with my dad fishing in a boat, not 27 feet, the thing was only 14 feet. And I can remember all kinds of times where storms and wind and, and waves. And if you have any experience on, on the water, you know that the wind can, can stop, but do the waves stop? No. They'll go on for a long time. It takes a long time to calm a rough sea. Jesus rebukes the winds and the waves, and they both stop, and it is completely calm. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes, in that boat, 
at that moment? And what's filling your heart? What, what's filling your heart is, I was so afraid, I thought we were going to die, I thought that was it, but it's over. <laughs> it's over. And, and Jesus has been with me the entire time. Again, why are you so afraid? Now, I don't want to give you a false hope. There are storms in this life that we more than likely will die from. If it's a disease or it's a health problem or whatever it is, um, I don't want to give you the false hope that if I have a storm in my life that it's going to become calm and everything's going to be fine. However, even if that happens, even if we were in a boat and we're drowning, what are we really afraid of? So you're drowning and you gurgle a few times and then you're with the Lord. You're in his full presence. You're in his glory. We need to see the bigger picture. We need to, to realize again who it is that's with us, who is in our figurative boat, if you will. And it is none other than the Son of God. Verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So the final question is, what kind of man is Jesus? Is he just a good moral teacher? Was he just a guy that that, that wanted to change the status quo with his teachings? That's not good enough. He's fully man. What kind of man is this? But you examine the life of Jesus, you realize that he is like no other man because he is the Son of God. He is the the, the divine. He is human like us. He is our Savior, and he is our Lord. And he has authority like none other. Only the winds and the waves will obey him as Lord. Next week at this time, I'll be in London, England. I'm traveling with my son and wife. It's a class uh, Euro cl- uh, trip, uh, AP Euro class that Adam is, is attending. And we're, we're, we're privileged. We, we, we've wanted to go for a while. Our first two kids didn't take AP Euro, but Adam did. So uh, we've been planning this for, for a long time. And we've been watching videos about England. And I, I read about who's considered to be the greatest king in England. And the greatest king in England was actually a Viking. His name was Canute, and he lived in in the 1200s. And and he is seen as just being a great king, a great leader. He also became a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And and, and Canute, he realized that there were subjects of of his that were trying to flatter him. Right? He couldn't do anything wrong, and they're, they're trying to butter him up. And uh, so what Canute said, he said, okay, uh, take me to the seashore. So they did. Set my throne along the beach. And they did. And, and Canute said, do you think that I can command the waves to stop? And trying to butter him up, they said, if any king can do it, you can do it, Canute. You're the man. So Canute sat on his throne and he commanded the the waves, come no further. 
And guess what happened? The waves came further, the tide came in, and he found himself surrounded by seawater. And the story goes that uh, Canute walked off the, the beach, and he, he said this, All the inhabitants of the world should know that the power of kings is vain and trivial, and that none is worthy the name of king, but whose command the heaven and earth and sea obey by eternal laws. And Canute said, there's only one king, and it's not me. It is the king of kings, Jesus Christ, and he is the one who deserves to wear a crown, not me. And Canute refused to wear a crown on his head, and there was a picture of Jesus behind his throne. My friends, there's only one person, one king, who can command the winds and the waves to stop. That's not me. It's not you. It is Jesus Christ. Those things obeyed him then. They obey him now. I would rather be in the middle of a raging storm, no matter what it is, with Jesus in the boat than to be in perfectly calm waters in a boat where Jesus does not reside. I don't know what storm you're going through. I don't know the outcome. But I do know that that Jesus cares, that he is with you, that he is Lord. If it's his will, he can command things to calm down. But he always promises to give you the strength that you need at that moment. Friends, there's no other authority like Jesus Christ. The winds and the waves obey him. He died for your sins. He gives you everlasting life. There is no substitute for Jesus Christ. Amen. May the true peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in him until life everlasting. Amen. We gather an offering as part of our, our worship.